want to thank you for choosing together with us. Uh, we are really excited about kicking off brand new series today. And as we start, I, I want to give just a special welcome, a heart of life welcome to our friends actually in Taiwan who are going to be gathering and joining us in this study. I just think that's really cool. Can we welcome them? Come on, let's welcome them. Many miles separate us, but Jesus connects us. And I just think that is the coolest thing. In fact, we are all going to learn, I think if we're willing, some really valuable truths. Because of what Jesus said to a group of churches, many miles from all of us, and a long time ago. It was actually seven churches, thus the title for this series, Seven. Uh, this is how it started. One of Jesus' first followers, name was John, had been isolated. Um, he was isolated on an island because he was a follower of Jesus, because he was speaking about Jesus. They, they, they put him there. In being there, Jesus spoke. Jesus gives him words, and the instruction then to get these words to the seven churches. Now, these are real churches. These are real cities. Um, in fact, I thought we'd just kind of start with a, a little bit of a map just to, just to give you a frame of reference. Um, you recognize Greece. You can recognize the Aegean Sea there. And so here's the seven churches over here, Asia Minor. That's the territory that we're dealing with. And, and you'll notice that, that if you in a clockwise manner, connect the dots. It's, it's kind of like a horseshoe, all right? There's a, there's a pattern to it. And the reason is, this was actually an ancient Roman mail route. This was the route for the mail. When there were letters that needed to be delivered, this was the route that, that they would typically take. And so what we've got is Jesus, who speaks to John, he gives him a letter for each of the churches, and he says, now I want you to get these letters to the seven churches. Now, in every one of the letters that we're going to read, there is a repeated phrase. This is the phrase. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, we read that in our day and our culture. It sounds kind of funny. It's like, well, most of us got ears, right? It's kind of a weird, I mean, I know stuff happens, but mo most people, right, have, have ears. But what it simply means is, you need to hear this. Everybody needs to hear this. Everybody needs to hear these words that I am given to you. These were actually letters. They were letters given to the seven churches. And so, every week, we're going to the mailbox, just to kind of give you that frame of reference. I mean, this really is a letter that Jesus gives. Some of you are like, man, I just, I wish he would text me, right? I mean, even as old school as it is, how cool would it be to like go to the mailbox and actually get the letter from Jesus? You're asking him a question, you need some direction. It's like, if I just had a letter from him. Well, we do. And so every week we're gonna go to the mailbox and we're going to read one of these letters, and because of what he said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit, what God's Spirit has said to the churches. We're going to ask two questions every week. First question is, what is Jesus saying to the original church, right? When he first wrote, what's he saying? And then, therefore, what is he saying to us as the church today? Shall we start? First letter, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. That's where we're going to start. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. And then, okay, we'll, we'll pick this back up. Let me, let, me, let me tell you just a little bit about Ephesus, all right? Ephesus was a happening place. It's a port city. And in that day, to be a port was a big deal, but for Ephesus, 
they are a busy port. It is a rich city. Lots of income on the move. They had public marketplaces, public baths, which was a big deal in that day, right? You don't think that's so attractive, like, I don't know about the public bath. No, it was a pretty big deal. Um, I had a big library, crazy impressive. You can look it up, look at the background. Um, There was a theater in Ephesus that seats a little over 25,000 people. All right, that's bigger than Sprint Center. You getting the picture? That's a lot of people, 25,000 people. Um, The city had one of the largest buildings in the world at that time. It's actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's the, the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. That was in Ephesus. For the church in Ephesus, it was also a significant place because the Apostle Paul, right, when you read in the Bible like the book of Ephesians, that's Ephesus, all right? It was one of the most successful places of ministry in terms of there were a lot of people in the city of Ephesus who became followers, followers of Jesus, just like we saw symbolized today. They gave their heart to him. They, they said, we want to identify with Jesus. The church became influential in Ephesus. It was sort of known as the mother church in Ephesus. Um, quick story, I, I once um, had the chance to visit Ephesus. Remarkable place. Um, there is a street of the ancient city there that they have excavated, and so you literally can walk down the street, and, and they have re, you know, formed the, 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 the buildings, the structures. I mean, it, it's just like walking back in time. You walk through the ruins. I stood in the theater like on the stage where the Apostle Paul would have most likely stood, and I'm telling you, I was overwhelmed. I was shocked by the emotion that I felt to just stop and dream about the fact that the Apostle Paul actually stood here and proclaimed Jesus. I was overwhelmed. So much so that that night, um, I really had kind of a tough time sleeping. I mean, it was just an emotional journey, and uh, we were on a boat, It was about 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm wide awake, which I typically am in either. When I go to either Taiwan or Turkey, doesn't matter. 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock is my jet lag effect, and I just tend to wake up, and sure enough, I'm wide awake. And so I decide to go take a walk, and and in the walking, I find a treadmill on board the ship. I jump on the treadmill, so it's 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. I, I start running, because I used to do that, all right? I, I started running, and, and it was just kind of this cool effect so that I can tell you this morning, I once ran five miles in the middle of the Aegean Sea in the middle of the night. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? Good. That's why I told that story. All right. I'm like, when else am I ever going to tell this really cool story in my life? So I just decided to hashtag humble brag today. All right. That's it. That's it. We better get back to the Bible. All right. Verse, verse one, verse one again. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? So then we're like, what in the world is an angel? Well, the the word is literally for messenger. It gets translated angel, but it's literally the word messenger. A lot of people believe it is reference to the pastor at the church. He is the messenger. He is the one who, who, who brings the word. So to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him, this gets interesting, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden Lamp stands. It's all right. Now we know this is revelation, so we know there's typically, right, symbolic language that goes with it. The question becomes what in the world are the seven stars and what in the world are the seven lampstands? And thank goodness there is a revelation, chapter one. Because in Revelation chapter one, we are not left to guess. We are told exactly what they are. Revelation chapter one, verse 20 the seven stars are the Angels are the messengers, or what I would say are the pastors of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Cool. We don't have to guess. Don't have to vote. What do we think it is? This is what it is. He says the lampstands are the seven churches. And so we have lampstands that are symbolic. The church is to be a light. 
That's the picture. The church is to be like a lampstand wherever she is, where whatever the community, whatever that part of the world, the church is to be this light of hope in the middle of a world that is often very, very dark. And so the picture is we've got Jesus walking among the seven lampstands. He's walking among the seven churches, and he's taking notes. He's going to write some things down. Now, every church of these seven has a pastor, has a shepherd, but Jesus is the owner of it all. There is a um, television show that has run for quite a while now. It's called Undercover Boss. Anybody ever seen Undercover Boss? Yeah, hopefully you've at least seen an image of it. You kind of maybe heard about it a little bit. Undercover Boss works like this. It, It is... A president or a CEO or an owner of a company will put on a disguise, and they do a really good job. I mean, they will totally, somebody like me would have like a full head of curly hair, all right? That'd be awesome. We should have done that this morning, all right? A full head of curly hair, they'll change their, to where you cannot recognize them, all right? And then they go to work in their own company with some of the workers. And they kind of pretend, like sometimes they're, I think they're pretending, other times I'm not so sure they're pretending, that they don't know how to do the job. And so the, the workers are showing them how to do the job. And then at the end of the show, there is this big revelation. Curly hair comes off, all the disguise taken away, and guess who you've been working with? And you watch the employees' eyes get this big, and they panic, because it's like, oh my, what did I say? Did, oh my, was I lazy at any point? Did I, did I work hard? Did I, did I treat the customers right? Was I harsh at any point? It's this sudden moment of realization. Imagine that the boss says to you, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. I know everything you've been doing. And that's what Jesus is doing in Revelation chapter 2. He's saying, hey church, at Ephesus, I know because I've been watching. I I have walked uh, among you and I have seen it all. So I have been to your meetings I've seen what goes on there. I have listened in on your life teams. I know what you talk about. I have seen the way you serve. I have stopped by the nursery, checked it out. I I, I have seen how you respond to the offering box. I, I have heard you in the parking lot. I have heard you at the dinner table. I heard you when there were words of encouragement. I heard you when there were words of gossip. I know your deeds. I have seen everything. This is undercover boss extreme. And now, Jesus is about to give what I would call a performance review to his church at Ephesus. But thank goodness, like every boss knows, Jesus being the best of all, when you're given a review, when you can, you always start with what? The good. That's right. In case you didn't know that, all right? You, you, you start with the good. If you're, if you're given a review, you try to find the things that are positive, you try to find the things that are strong, and, and that's where you're going to start. And so, check it out. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Well, that's nice, right? I mean, Jesus wrote you a letter like that, I bet you keep it. Probably frame it, right? That's nice. Hard work and perseverance. 
That's good stuff. In fact, we're going to use a word to kind of sum up what I, I think we just read that Jesus says about the church at Ephesus. It is the word endurance. That's what I hear. Hardworking folks, they persevere. It's the word endurance, man. They, they just they stay with something even when it's difficult. You know, endurance is you want to quit, but you don't. The, the job is tough. The, the class is, is really difficult and unfair, but you just push through it. It is a character trait to be commended, endurance. Now, in the sports world, um, we, we know this all the time. We see it all the time. And so for the sports fans in the room, I thought I'd just kind of prove it to you a little bit. For example, who is this guy? You can say it. It's okay, right? Brett Favre is his name, all right? He's a quarterback in the NFL, and he owns the consecutive, the record for consecutive NFL starts, 297. That's a lot of consecutive starts in the NFL where they are big and bad and fast and tough, and you can get hit really hard. 297 straight games is phenomenal in terms of endurance. If you count his playoff games, which will make you sick as a Chiefs fan, then it becomes 300, 321 because he's had 24 playoff games straight. That's crazy. That's endurance. That's endurance, all right? How about this guy? I know, I am treading on a church split today. I know that. If you know NASCAR fans, this gets really serious, all right? So I, I, I get it, but I, I, Jeff Gordon is his name, and he, he is the endurance man when it comes to NASCAR, 797 straight starts. That's crazy. That's crazy. How about this guy? Anybody know who this is? It's a little harder. Anybody know? Anybody know? Doug Jarvis is his name. He's, the, he's the, the hockey man, all right? 964 straight games he's played in. Now, if your name is Douglas MacArthur Jarvis, you better have some toughness to you, right? That's his name. 964 straight games. Let's keep rolling to the NBA. The NBA, this is your man. His name is A.C. Green. 1,192 straight games he played in. And then... The one that most everybody knows, all right, it's baseball time. You may not like him, but incredible. Cal Ripken is the guy, 2,632 straight games. That's just Iron Man territory, right? Endurance, we get it. By the way, I checked out Guinness Book of World Records just for endurance, and there is like a million entries in it. But one of the entries that I found in the Guinness Book of World Records was this guy. Um, I don't even know how to fully pronounce his name. I think it's Christian Herba. He is a Polish cyclist, as in bicycle. His world record is he got on a bicycle and biked up the 101 building in Taipei. 101, as in it, is 101 stories. 101. 3,139 steps the dude got on a bike and climbed. That's absolutely amazing. Endurance. I want you to understand that there's a parallel in the church world. Because any church that lives longer than a few years... Right? You start getting into the 10 years, you start getting into the 20 years, it requires people of endurance. It does. You got to have iron men and iron women who will play when they don't feel like playing. Come on, you know there were some days at Cal Ripken in 2,600 games. There were some days that he was so sore, something hurt so bad, you know he didn't fully want to play, but you just do what you need to do, Right? And so in churches, there are people who will play when they don't feel like playing. They will serve when they don't feel like serving. They will lead even when it's difficult and they're tempted to throw in the towel. As I'm talking about this today, at each place, I mean, there are so many faces of men and women that, that come to my mind. People who will just push through and sacrifice to make it happen. Such was the church at Ephesus. In the sports world, we say they, would, they left it all on the field. They left it all on the field. It says they endured hardships. A part of the description was they would not tolerate wicked people. 
all right, which just, just means you've you got to deal with sin all the time as the church. And not just on the outside, right? I mean, the story is, in case you don't know this, we're all a bunch of sinners. And we regularly act like it. We do. And so even from within, man, this, this battle of, of wickedness, this battle of sinfulness, you just, you got to fight against that all the time. It doesn't mean that we build a bubble and push the world out. That's not what this is talking about. But it means that when there are people on the inside who say they follow Jesus, but their life pattern is reflecting something different, it is the responsibility, one of the responsibilities of a pastor, one of the responsibilities of the shepherd is to protect the sheep from wolves. And that has always been the case. And so, you know what that means? It means that awkward conversations happen. It does. Because when that stuff's going on, it is awkward conversations. They, they go like this. No. You, as an older man, cannot follow her, a younger girl, to her car every week. That's how they go. You say you're friendly. She says you're stalking. We ain't going to do that around here. Stop it. You think I'm joking. But those are the kind of awkward conversations that every once in a while have to happen. You're like, boy, I bet you really have to be careful with that because you don't want to drive the sheep away. No, I don't, but I do want to drive the wolves away. And it's a part of what has to happen sometimes. You guys think I'm making this up? No. You, you cannot continue playing in the worship band if you are going to shack up with a guy who is not your husband. You cannot... Continue leading students if you are going to shack up with a gal who is not your wife. Over the years, we have had lots of conversations, really awkward conversations. They are exhausting, and when they're all said and done, they often don't end well because typically whoever you're talking to accuses you of not loving. That's how it goes down. But I'm telling you, it is love. It is love, because if you claim to follow Jesus, there are some steps that you cannot take in your life. They reflect that you are not following him, and for the sake of the health of the church and the honor of Jesus, whom we represent, sometimes you got to make some endurance measures against wickedness. You have to. In Ephesus, there are older women who are saying to the younger women, Right? I know you say, let's pray for so-and-so, but honey, that's gossip. Stop it. Stop it. That's the kind of stuff. And Jesus looks at the church at Ephesus and says, you have endured hardship. You have set boundaries. You have protected the flock. You have honored me. Well done. And we're like, man, this review is going really well. We deserve a promotion, don't you think? This is going really well. I mean, I'm saying promotion would be in order, but we better keep reading, right? Verse 4, yet. Oh, man, that's like a big but, isn't it? Yet. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now, we know context here is it's Jesus talking to his church. He, he's talking about a love for him. Now, let's stop here and let's get, get this perspective. I just described to you a church that was, that was pretty well committed to, they want to do what Jesus says do. They understand what sin is. They understand what wickedness is. That means they are committed to a biblical picture of what truth is. I mean, these people are doctrinally sound. They also serve. And not only do they serve, they are, they are endurance weapons, right? I mean, they, they are just amazing. They just keep going even when it's difficult. And, and so, are you telling me, Jeff, that you can be really sound doctrinally? You can know, like, the Bible, and you can even, like, serve and not love Jesus? 
Actually, Jesus is telling us that. Jesus is telling us that. The church at Ephesus probably by this time about 30 years old. So they've been around a little while. Several generations have moved through. And somewhere along the way, even though they held to truth, even though people kept working, they kept serving, some, something happens, right? The righteous brothers, right? They lost that love and feeling somewhere along the way. Now, think about this, because some, some of you, some of you may be um, several decades into following Jesus. That's a nice way. That's as nice as I knew how to put it. All right? So some of y'all have been following Jesus a long time. Some of, some of us have. Um, some of us have been in church our whole life. Some of us grew up in a Christian home. Um, some of you have volunteered for ministry for a long time. You've been on mission trips. You've, you've served on committees, right? You have given your time. You have given your money. You have endured. And yet what Jesus is saying is that perhaps even for some of us across the room today, if, if we were sitting across the table from him, he would say, uh, so where you been? Where you been? And you're like, what do you mean, where have I been? I've, I've been to church every week. What, what do you mean, where have I been? I, I mean, I'm involved in this, and I'm involved in this, and I'm, I'm involved in this, and I've been in Bible study where I'm, I'm learning, you know, how, how things are supposed to work. I mean, he's saying, I, where you been? Now, come on, we, we understand this can happen in other relationships, right? We, we see it unfold around us all the time. Um, I'm going to use um, a symbol today. Aren't roses just, it's like, God, good job, right? I mean, it's like, you just look, every time you look at a rose, you're like, wow, how beautiful is that? Especially when everything's been brown forever, right? And I, I'm going to let this rose represent today just what, what we would call maybe a strong, healthy love. Right, um, maybe this is even symbolic, guys, of of maybe what what you would give your your uh, girls. You know, maybe maybe uh, maybe a little more frequent when you first met her. Maybe that was a part of of you know something that that she liked, and so you gave it to her. For my wife, um, she is certainly not opposed to these, but but this is not like the height for her. This is this is not like the favorite thing for her. For for her, um, she likes for us to go places like let's go to dinner let's go to a game all right thank you Jesus what a wonderful woman all right she she loves going to about any sport you can think of if, it, if it's something good she'll go all right and so for, for us to be able to go to dinner for us to be able to go to a game um, maybe I take her shopping all right she certainly likes that um, the point is she likes me there with her that's what speaks to her heart. That make sense? Okay. But we're just going to let the rose sort of represent that today. Well, if you like stop doing whatever that is, like like you know, you stop going to the ball games, you stop going to dinner. It starts to look like this, doesn't it? That's, that's cold, I promise you. That's cold. Now, again, it doesn't have to be a rose in here. It could be, for me, it could be a ticket. It could be a dinner reservation. But the point is, it is something that represents heart this is this is something about the heart okay I just thought it'd be really weird to freeze a heart so we went with the rose all right that seemed weird like we're gonna go with the heart 
we're going to go with the rose, all right? My, my question is, how do you get from here to here? And you would say, well, maybe, honestly, I look back, maybe it started with, um, we got distracted. You know, we got distracted. I mean, I was, uh, it was my career, and then I got to working on a degree, and then, you know, we did the whole, we, we went after remodeling the house deal, or maybe it was another relationship. Could, could, I'm talking like kids. It was kids. Kids came along, and suddenly that's, that's where the, the priority was placed, and that's where more of your attention began to fall. And so your, your schedule was still completely full, but it wasn't filled with the primary. Same thing can happen with Jesus. Same thing. You say, well, for me, it wasn't so much a distraction. It was more about a wound. Uh, it, was, it was being wounded, right? And that stuff happens, right? Something happens that hurts you so badly that you just feel like it paralyzes you. Maybe that wound actually came from your spouse. I mean, that, that happens sometimes. And, and I'm saying when that happens, how you respond to that also reflects what you have with Jesus. Somebody hurts you. Maybe it was a church that hurt you. Maybe it was your spouse that hurt you. Well, here's what we know. For those of us who follow Jesus we have been forgiven. We have. He has forgiven all our sin. And what we read is that forgiven people do what? They forgive people. And even though the hurt can be tremendous, forgiven people forgive people. And when you don't, you chose froze. A result of the distraction and a result of the wounds can lead us to this very casual approach to a relationship where you know the person is still there. There's just a little less attention that gets placed their way, right? Either the wounds have caused you to back away or they're distracted, you're doing other stuff, and it just kind of becomes casual. You kind of stop doing the little things, you stop doing the big things, and before long, it's just kind of more like having a roommate, not a lover. Same thing can happen with Jesus, right? It's not that you don't think he's not around. You, you know that he's still there. It's just it kind of becomes this little more casual thing where if you need him, you know, you know where to go. And then eventually it leads to what I call compromise. I mean, sooner or later, your affection will be placed somewhere else. And that's the struggle. That's what happens even in our relationship with Jesus. There are so many idols in which we can give our heart. It could be money. It could be fame. It could be power. It could be sex. It could be travel. It could be a home. It could be social media, right? It could be good, it could be good stuff. It could be your family. It could be ministry, in other words, we can take even good things, turn them into ultimate things, and try to build our life around them, and we forsake, we abandon our first love, and Jesus becomes something secondary, and a love grows cold. But thank goodness that Jesus' love doesn't grow cold. He doesn't, and he still loves and so in verse 5, this is what he says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. All right? Repent. What does that mean? Repent means to turn. It means to turn away from what, what you're giving priority to. You, you turn to give him that. You, he, your attention is to him. And you do what? What you did at first first, right? Those primary things that, that you did at, at first that, that were about connecting your, your attention, your, your heart to him. So like for Jesus followers, we, we use words like worship. Worship is a word that we use. It means to ascribe worth to who? 
to Jesus. It's to ascribe worth to our God. We are declaring. And so we think about, we sing songs, we are declaring worth to him. When we, when we pray, we're doing that. But it's supposed to be our life that, that worships. But we, we are called to gather in a moment like this where we gather with other believers because there's something powerful that happens in this moment. Something really powerful that happens when God's word is open and we read it. There's something really powerful that happens when together we are declaring his praise. There's something really powerful that happens when we watch somebody dipped into that water and we, we celebrate our heart soars. There, there is something supernatural happens in all that. But there, there's also, he says, the worship is to also just be something personal at times. It's supposed to be just me and, and Jesus. And, and we're sitting down at, at the table, right, in the cup of coffee and, and, and we're just talking heart to heart. Do the things you did at first. And, and when you do that, this is the description I want you to see. Things about to get serious. We start chipping away. We start chipping away. And so the things you did at first, like serving. To serve. When you serve other people, you get your eyes off yourself. You're serving kids, you're serving students, you're serving an uplift, you're serving Real 127. Um, I want to remind you, you got a crazy good opportunity to serve right now in terms of something we're doing together as a church called One at a Time. We introed it last week. I'm, I'm asking you to not just say, hey, Jeff, this is a really good idea. I'm, I'm asking you to, like, jump on board with us. It's, it's where we're giving our, our kids and our students the opportunity to identify some needs in our communities, to identify needs that neighbors have, and then we as adults want to come around them and help them to be able to carry out those needs. Everybody wants to make a difference. Everybody wants to make an impact. Everybody wants to change the world. Well, you know how that happens? One need at a time. One hurt at a time, one heart at a time, one neighbor at a time. I was so encouraged by Monday, I'd already gotten an email of, people, of somebody who had actually taken some steps to go, you know what, we saw a need and so we, we jumped. I'm saying we need you to help us do this. And I get it, people will go, well, that is a really good idea. I know, but we need you to help make it a good idea. You are the ones who come around our students and our kids to help us actually impact and love. And so for parents today, adults today, you can literally put your name on it. How do we contact you? And just drop them in the boxes when you leave today. And we'll know you're on board. We're starting to form a, an army who together, it's going to take us a couple of months to get this done. Our kids are turning in some of the, some of the uh, requests, but we're, we're going to get there. But when you do that... Chipping away. Chipping away. When you do things like give, I know people get all bent out of shape when we talk about generosity. But I'm telling you, it's the why a lot of hearts look just like this. Because we, we listen to something like giving and we go, well, that one, I got my own ideas and here's why I don't because I don't know where to trust and I don't know what I, and we just talk our way out of and it's why hearts look like this. I'm telling you. Now notice he says do something. I think that's, he doesn't say feel the things you felt at first. He says do the things you felt at first. And when you do the things you, you did at first, you are in an opportunity to feel what you used to feel. But here's where I want us to be really, really, really careful. Do the things you did at first. What did I tell you about this church at Ephesus? Are they lazy? Do they give up at the first sign of struggle? No, man, they are some doers. They are some serving people. And so in, in some sense, we know that they're committed to God's word, and we know that, that they are enduring in terms of their service in other words, we, we got to be really careful here. Does anybody understand that you can still give your wife a rose, but just the action doesn't necessarily mean that a love grows stronger, does it? it it's not just the doing. The point is the attention. The point is the heart 
The point is the focus. It's when you do those things, when you worship, when you serve, when you give, when you do those things. It's about being connected to the heart of the one who loves us like crazy. It's about remembering who he is. It's about remembering what what he's done for us. It's that he loves us. And when we do those things, we are putting ourselves in a position to see the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because Jesus has loved me like crazy. And you know what? I don't want him for just an acquaintance. I want to know his heart. And so while he calls us to do, and there is this chipping away that happens on the outside, there's also something supernatural that's happening on the inside. He is the one who lives within you. And when you repent, when you begin to turn your attention toward him and your heart begins to again absorb, this is how he has loved me. This is who he is. This is what he's done for me. There is this warming effect that starts to happen from the inside. And the ice begins to melt. I want to go back to verse 4 just real quick before we kind of wrap this up. Verse 4, one more time. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. That, that word forsaken is an interesting word, especially for the Ephesians. Because in Ephesus, they associated that word with the fact that often in this city, newborns, babies, were forsaken. It was something common in their culture. Newborn babies would be forsaken. They would be abandoned. They would be left in the trash heaps. But some of them would survive. People would come along. Somebody would take care of them just enough, and they would survive. And in Ephesus, there were people who had grown up having been forsaken, abandoned, left in the trash heap. And now they walked the streets of Ephesus, scanning Every face that walks by them, wondering, am I supposed to belong to them? Is that really my dad? Is that really my mom? Am I supposed to belong to them? Jesus looks at the church at Ephesus who is supposed to bear his name. He says, you are supposed to belong to me. But you, you've abandoned me. You've forsaken me. I find it really interesting that when the Apostle Paul speaks to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, there's some really interesting language here. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, in love. Now this is God. God in love. You ready for this? He predestined us for what? Adoption. Whoa. That's a pretty interesting term for the people of Ephesus who are used to seeing newborns placed in the garbage heap, right? He says, God, he has predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In other words, our story, our story, the reason we belong He adopted us. He adopted us. I now have a family. It is God's family. It is an eternal family. And the reason it happened is because God chose to love even before I took a first breath, before I had anything to offer him and him knowing everything that I would do against him. He chose to love me. Wow, from the inside there is some melting going on. We love because he first loved us. Repent, he says, and do what you did at first. There is a warning that goes with this. In verse 5, he says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, if, if if your heart doesn't turn to me, His lights out. I will shut this church down. And you will no longer be light in a community because a church without love is lethal. 
A church without love is lethal. A church without love just beats people up. He's like, repent. But then there's also this incredible promise. Last verse, verse 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Hey, that sounds good. Which is in the paradise of God. Now you get to those two phrases, and if if you've ever read the Bible, you didn't have to go very far. It's like, where have we heard that before? A garden. The garden in the beginning, the tree of life that was there, right? And he's saying, do you understand? Jesus saying, anybody who loves me, anybody who loves me, you know what? You're going to do so forever, and that's going to happen with me in paradise. That's good. That's good. By the way, Undercover Boss, when it typically ends... Uh, not only is there this revealing that happens on the show, but I, I like the fact that there's usually a, an unexpected reward. It's really interesting. That owner or whoever has walked alongside one of those employees, and maybe it's the single mom who's trying to work as hard as she possibly can to take care, and so they will give her a scholarship fund for her kids. That's awesome. Or, or maybe it's the guy who's working two jobs just trying to take care of his family, and they give him an expense-paid vacation whole family going somewhere. That's cool. Well, guess what? When Jesus ends the performance review, he gives us this most incredible promise, a most incredible reward. And oh, is it better than a vacation? It is better than a bonus. He's saying, look, The love that I have for you, it is forever. I'm giving you me forever. And when I say forever, I mean I'm with you now. No matter what you go through, no matter what the struggle, I am with you now. But also know this is not your home. I have gone to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back to take you to be with me. And one day you will be with me in the paradise of God forever and ever and ever. The message is... We are loved. How is your heart? How's your heart? See, this is one of those moments where it's like, man, I, there are so many people in Heart of Life who hold to the truth of God's word, and there are so many people who are crazy, persevering, enduring, playing even when they're hurt. But the privilege today is that Jesus says in the middle of all that, how's your heart? Maybe he's saying to you today, where you been? In just a moment, um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. We're going to sing one more song. And actually, um, this really isn't even about us singing. I want you to hear a song. If you want to sing along, you can sing along. But I, I, I want you to hear it. And I want, it, I, I want us to begin to just realize, you know, these moments when, when we come to the end of reading, I mean, a letter that Jesus gives to us. And he's saying, how's your heart? Answer the question. Like, really take some moments and answer the question. And, and as you hear the, the call of this song, to see a God who, who takes us back. A God who hears our heart. He, when we repent and we turn back from our sin, he hears us. He takes us back. Maybe you just want to spend some moments, just whatever he shows you about your heart. Man, this is the moment to go, okay, God, I see where I've been wrong. I, I don't want. I don't, I don't want to get to here. You ask him, he will forgive. This is the moment. And so I just, I want there to be freedom across this room. You can, you can pray right where you're seated. You, you can at times get on your knees when you want to. This is not about some show. This is about a God who meets with his people 
and says, I want you. How's your heart? I encourage you to take it in. We're going to be here over on the side. If you need some prayer, we'd be honored to help you today. But that can also happen as you might have a friend here today, somebody you're with that you just quickly want to say, hey, would you just just pray for me real quick? Um, Whatever that looks like. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I thank you for this letter. Written a long time ago. Lots of miles from here. But wow, does it hit close to home. God, I, I can say even, even in my own heart, there are moments when I find myself, God, you, you call us to lead and we try to be faithful to your word. God, we want to be a people whose faith is not weak, and so we want to endure, we want to be strong, and yet, if we're really honest, God, most of us would admit there are days that you would probably sit across the table from us and say, where you been? And so, God, I'm asking you'd give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear, just like you said could happen that today there would be this call of our heart back to you. And God, that none of us would settle for the, for the frozen effect. God, some of us have been wounded. God, some are distracted. God, this is the moment. You have spoken to us in an, in an early moment in this freezing process. And, and, it, and we can turn. God, some of us may feel like that, that it's gone too far. Things are really cold. God, we, we are reminded that your love, God, it, it breaks all barriers. It, it crashes through all walls. God, today, will you simply help us to do what you told us to do? We turn our heart back to you. We turn our attention back to you and we cry out, God, will you take us? God, take us back. May our attention and our affection be yours. I thank you, God, for what you're going to do in these moments. May all the barriers be lifted. May there be a freedom in this place now that we can humble ourselves before you and find 